You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Hey, before we get into the message, uh, can we just admit that 2020 has been a crazy year? (laughs) Uh, We have been tossed all sorts of things that are so new for us to try and figure out and handle. And, um, you know, this past week is, uh, was a really tough one for me. It was heavy, it was, uh, it was sad, uh, because on top of dealing with, with a global pandemic and uh, people losing their jobs and financial stress and uh, just everything that's, that's piled onto this moment, uh, this past week we were reminded of the injustice that still exists in our society and it's existed for so long and so this is for me personally and maybe for you this has been a really tough week and i actually contemplated changing the message for this week but we're in this series on our values and this this message is is on believing the best and i thought you know this is this is a perfect message that uh, rises above everything and really is a great principle for all of us to live out in every relationship that we have. And so I decided we're gonna, we're gonna keep this message right where it is. And it's also gonna be a great foundation for the message next week on one of our values for, not against. We are known for what we're for, not what we're against. And so um, my hope is that as you hear this message, you would see not only how it applies to here and now, but you would also see how it applies in your marriage, your workplace, and your friendships, and all your relationships, in everything, because we want to be the kind of people who don't assume the worst, but believe the best. So I'm going to take you inside to our dining room table for the message. Hey, well, welcome to our dining room table. You want some chips and salsa? <laughs> now, you know, I wish my wife and I uh, could have you over for breakfast, uh, some French press coffee, bacon and eggs. Come on, somebody. Or maybe have you over for lunch, some chicken quesadillas. Or have you over for dinner, we'd have some lobster tail and a medium well filet mignon. Mm. I'm just joking. We don't cook our steaks like that. We cook them mid-rare how they're supposed to be. Come on. No, uh, actually dinner for us looks more like uh, whatever we can throw together. (laughs) But if we had you over, we'd make chicken tikka masala with some naan. Come on, have I made you hungry yet? But uh, welcome to our dining room table. We're in the season of a series called The Me I Want to Be. And uh, a crisis has a way of shedding light on who we really are and what we're really made of, right? Like, like when life crashes into us, a, a divorce, a failed class, a foreclosure, a, a heart attack, a breakup, the loss of a job, a worldwide pandemic, where, where our regularly scheduled life is upended and shaken about, it has a way of forcing us to assess our life, our drive, our career, our family, everything. And, and from this assessment, we can choose to become better or we can choose to keep calm and carry on like nothing is happening and just stay the way we are. You know, throughout this time, uh, I've been assessing all sorts of things and uh, I found that there's a me that I see 
and, and then there's a me that I want to be. This actually was a light bulb moment for me last summer when I went to this weekend's men's experience called Crucible. Uh, link in the description, check it out. Um, but I discovered so much about me uh, that I never knew or saw. Like, like others knew it and saw it, but I didn't. And, and I saw then that there was a gap between the me I see and the me I want to be. And ever since then, I've been on this journey to try and close the gap. And there's, there's a gap for you too, isn't there? I mean, I mean, just ask the people close to you, hey, what's wrong with me? And they'll be able to tell you uh, exactly what's wrong with you. They'll be able to tell you where the gap is. <laughs> and if you're open and honest, you'll receive it. Now listen, it'll be painful and it'll sting, but they'll tell you. And again, if you receive what they say, then you'll see that there's the person that you are now. And that's not quite who you want to be because all of us, all of us, all of us have some things we can change to become the us we want to be. And, and Paul, uh, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, uh, this guy who hated Jesus, but then he met Jesus in his resurrected form. Paul became a follower of Jesus and he expressed this same longing to become who he wanted to be, who God had called him to be. He said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. See, see, Paul saw that he didn't reach the goal. I haven't reached the goal. You haven't reached the goal, right? I mean, I mean, if you're open, if you're real, none of us have reached the goal we've been longing for. There's the me I see and then the me that I want to be. And there's this value uh, that our church has. See, I'm the pastor of The Rising. Uh, we, we say we're a real church for real people in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and now we're worldwide because we're online. Uh, but, but there's this value uh, that, that I just knew needed to be at the core of our DNA as a church and organization. Because I, I, I've worked in church world for a long time, about 17 years. And one of the biggest hangups for me in my experience with Christians in church was our ability to assume the worst. So I've met some mean, nasty, hateful, non-forgiving, judgmental Christians, like people who have met Jesus and been forgiven and given grace, and, and, and then they become experts at judgment and living from a position of casting stones quite quickly. And there have been times, if I'm open, there have been times that I've uh, tossed a stone. And there have been times that I've been on the receiving end of stones tossed. And I'll tell you, none of it, none of it, none of it feels good. And none of it is right for the person who follows Jesus. See, the value we have in our guiding values, we believe the best. This is one of my favorite values because it constantly and consistently reminds me to go back to grace. So I love this value because it, it, it just forces me, drives me back to grace. And grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. Right? Justice is getting exactly what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. It's what Jesus gave us through the cross. 
See, we deserved punishment for our sin and rebellion against God. That's justice. That's what we deserve, punishment. Mercy would have been God saying, I won't punish you, not getting what we deserve, but grace is God saying through Jesus on the cross, instead of punishment, I'll give you life to the full through me. What we deserved was death, but what we got was just the opposite, life through Jesus. And that's grace. By the way, if, um, if you've never made the decision to accept the gift of life and forgiveness that God has given you through Jesus' substitutionary death for you on the cross, by believing Him so much that you decide to follow Him and be baptized into Him, you can make that decision right now. Like, it's actually the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. More important than where to go to college, who to marry, what to do in your career. This decision to follow Jesus and be baptized into him is one that impacts your eternity, but also your life here and now. Because Jesus promises to lead us toward full life, life to the full, becoming the person we ultimately want to be. So, so if you want to accept Jesus and make him the leader of your life by being baptized into him and then, and then living for him, it's as simple as deciding that right now. And listen, if you decide to follow Jesus, let us know through a comment or, or, or send us a DM or, or connect with us on our connect form. And we'd love to come alongside you to help with the logistics of getting baptized. And if you've made the decision to accept Jesus, but you're not following him, man, today's the day right now is the time to make the decision. Sam, so coming back to you, because ultimately Jesus leads us to be the us we want to be. And the truth is this, Jesus gives us grace, right? The, the opposite of what we deserve. And believing the best in others is a posture and a practice of giving grace, just like Jesus gave us. So, so first, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who's met Jesus and you've been given grace, it's only natural to believe the best and extend grace to others. Because if you just receive grace and you never give it, there's a blockage there. You're stopped up. And being stopped up is never a good thing, right? It's time for some grace lacks. Come on, hashtag grace lacks. <laughs> but in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus said this thing that's, that's often misquoted and, and misunderstood. Look at, look at what he said, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. He said, don't judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! <laughs> First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, oftentimes uh, people will quote this as a way to avoid being called out. Don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. The Bible says, don't judge. Don't judge me. But let me explain what this is and, and, and what this isn't. Judging isn't observing behavior and asking about it. Right? Hey, hey, I saw that you, you did this, you said this, you didn't 
do this. These are objective actions that have taken place. These are the things I saw and I'm just bringing it up to you. And it's fine and it's good to see these things and to ask about these things, right? Hey, you, you, you didn't text back. You showed up late. You spent this. You said this. You didn't say that. That's fine. That's good. But judging is when we move from the observation to assigning motives and drawing conclusions. I hope you're taking notes right now. Judging is when we move from the observation to assigning motives and drawing conclusions. And this is where we have the opportunity to either believe the best or assume the worst. Because remember, Jesus said this, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So, I want you to notice the, the observation and the difference in judgments. Here's the, op- uh, here's, here's the observation. Uh, you didn't text back, right? That, that's the observation. That is the thing that happened. You didn't text back. Now, here's the judgment in assuming the worst. Oh, you must be avoiding me. Oh, you hate me. You're inconsiderate. Those are judgments about the person because of the action. Here's the judgment in believing the best. Oh, you saw the text and decided to get to it later and forgot. Or you didn't see the text yet. Either way, both of those are judgments. And the thing with judgments is we don't know for sure. All we know is the observation. Here's here's another observation. When I told you how I was feeling, you gave me solutions on what I shared with you. That's what happened. Here's a judgment, assigning motives and intent by assuming the worst. You don't care how I feel. You weren't listening. You just want to fix me. Here's here's a judgment by believing the best. You you gave solutions because you care, and your way of showing care is to try and help me solve this. See, there's this observation, this thing that happened. But what we do after the observation, the judgment we assign, the motives we uh, create, ultimately determines our next reality. And Irene and I, um, Irene's my wife, by the way, <clears throat> love that lady. But Irene and I were watching uh, How to Get Away with Murder on Netflix. Um, and uh, we're like binge watching that right now. By the way, Viola Davis, phenomenal actress. Google Viola Davis Fences speech and see if you aren't moved by that two and a half minute clip amazing actress but we're watching how to get away with murder and and if you watch it make sure you're ready to fast forward through several parts because there's there's stuff that's not quite good there's body parts stuff like that so fast forward Uh, but in the show and this is what makes uh, a drama so dramatic there are times where a character has a piece of information like not the whole story and they jump to a conclusion and they go down a rabbit hole that's completely wrong it's like I saw this and this and they said this, so this person must have done this. And, and as the viewer, there are times where we're let in on what's going on and we know what's going on and we're watching and we're like, no, it's not like that at all. They are completely wrong because they have just part of the story and they've jumped to some conclusions. And listen, you need stuff like that in a drama to make it just that, a drama. And not having the full picture and assuming the worst and making judgments is perfect for dramas, but it's terrible for real life. And none of us want to live in a drama, except for dramatic people. (laughs) See, there's this story 
that Jesus tells uh, in Luke 15 about a man who has two sons. And he says uh, that one of the sons goes to his dad and he demands his inheritance. He leaves because he thinks a life without the father is better than a life with his father. Well, eventually that son comes home and the father in his joy throws him a party because even though the son had hurt him and wronged him, he's glad to have him back. It shows the grace and the love of the father. He thought his son was dead, but he's alive. So they celebrate. Well, the, the son who stayed home the whole time and did what he was supposed to do and didn't hurt his dad, he got upset about his father's generosity and grace and he refused to come into the party that his dad was throwing for his other son. And I want you to see what happens. Luke 15, 28 through 31. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. All these years I've slaved for you? All these years I've slaved for you? What? Wait, son, is that the judgment you've been making? Like, is that how you've seen me? You thought I needed to give you a goat for a feast with your friends? No, son, son, son. You've always been with me, and everything I have is yours. You could have had a goat anytime you wanted. You weren't slaving for me. You were my son. See, the judgment, the assumption that characters make in a drama, the judgment, the assumption that the son made with his dad, I was slaving for you, you never gave me. It shapes the rest of the story. But what if, what if at some point the son and how he was feeling, feeling like I'm slaving away from you, I can't ever get, what if at, one, at some point instead of keeping it to himself and assuming the worst and making these false judgments, what if the son went to his dad and said, Dad, how do you see me? D dad, I'm feeling this way and I'm observing these things. Can you... Can you help me by shedding some light on this for me? See, the son had some judgments about his dad and he had some judgments about himself that he projected onto his dad. And in the end, even though one son who was far off came home, the son who was home all along ends up being far off because he assumed the worst instead of believing the best. Don't, don't, don't you see? The entire story from the son leaving to the other son refusing to come into the party, it all happens because of false judgments and assuming the worst about a father. I don't know about you, but I look at that father, he seems like he's pretty good. He seems like he gives grace and mercy. He seems like he's all about a party and a good time. <laughs> um, but they had false assumptions and they assumed the worst about him. And this is why this is why friendships break down. 
This is why people leave marriages. This is why people get disgruntled at their job. This is why people leave churches. This is why there's tension in your family because at some point there was an observation and instead of believing the best and communicating for clarification, a judgment was made. Motives were assigned and we assumed the worst. See, Tupac was right. Only God can judge me. Because only God knows our hearts and motives and intentions. See, what we see are our observations. And believing the best is refusing to assign motives to someone's actions because I don't know your heart. I don't know your motives. I don't know your intentions. And if I have questions, then it's my job to ask and clarify. You know, a couple of years ago, um, I was driving and uh, I was in a left-hand turn lane. See, our light was red, uh, and there were a couple cars in front of me, and, and a car was approaching behind me. And our light turned green. We had the green arrow to turn, but, but none of the cars in front of me moved, right? Now, the person in the car coming up from behind me lays into their horn, right? Somebody needs to make a song about that, capture that one section of this message, put it to a beat. Beep. Anyway, <laughs> he lays into his horn because we're not moving. And I, and I see in my rearview mirror, this guy is going off. I mean, I, I didn't hear him, but it looked like he was shouting some things I can't say right here, right? And, and I get it. I understand his frustration because, come on, the light's green. We should be going. We should be moving, but we're sitting here. Move. But I saw something he didn't see. And it's because of what I saw that he didn't see that I was able to keep my cool and not lay into my horn like he did. See, I could see through the windshield of the car in front of me that the car in front of them was disabled and they had their flashers on. We couldn't go because there was a broke down car in our lane. See, the guy behind me didn't see that. He's jumped to a conclusion, whatever it is, right? Someone's not paying attention. They're texting, whatever it is. And they, and they are going off because the light's green and he's upset. He's mad. He's cursing. He's honking his horn because we aren't going. But I saw we couldn't go because two cars ahead, there was a disabled car. And that let me keep my cool. I saw something he didn't see. See, oftentimes we jump to conclusions and assume the worst because we don't see what someone else sees and we don't know what someone else knows. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and at first we all came together in unity and kindness because we're all in this shared experience together. But have you seen the conspiracy theories online, right? Have you seen the division over decisions that the president makes, that the governors make in all the different states? Have you seen the division that workplaces make, that churches make? We should reopen. No, we shouldn't. Have you seen the judgment flowing in your feed lately? And this is nothing new, right? I mean, none of this, none of this is new. I mean, we've been making judgments and assumptions based on seeing a partial picture or having partial information long before this. I mean, we, we, we did this in our friendships. We did this in our families. We did this with our bosses, our coworkers. Some people do this in their church, right? A, a, a decision is made, a direction is taken, and based on what you know and what you see, you're either with the decision or against the decision or indifferent about the decision. And the decision that's made 
can lead you to feel disgruntled, irritated, annoyed, resentful, or it could lead you to feel excited, happy, and, and on board, all dependent on how you choose to operate. And here's what I know. I don't sit where the governor sits. So I don't see what the governors see, and I don't know what the governors know, so I can't assume I know what we should do because I don't have all the information, and I don't know what it's like to carry that kind of weight. You don't sit where your boss sits, so you don't see what your boss sees, and you don't know what your boss knows, and you aren't carrying the weight of the responsibility that she's carrying. So if you disagree with a decision or a direction, the right response is not to be mad or resentful. The right response and believe in the best is to be supportive, to be understanding, to give grace. And if you want clarification, it's as simple as saying, hey, can you please help me understand what went into making this decision? That's it. And whether it's a, a governor, a president, your boss, a friend, a family member, the person you're married to, anybody, it boils down to this principle of, I don't sit where you sit, I don't see what you see, I don't know what you know, I don't carry the weight you carry, so I'm going to believe the best in you. See, I'm able to believe the best in others because I know that I don't know everything and I refuse to jump to a false conclusion because I don't have all the information. And if you don't know and you need to know, it's as simple as simply asking. Just ask. Don't assume. See, here's, here, here's the last thing I'll share with you when it comes to believing the best. It, it's this. I've come to discover that everyone on this planet, there's like over seven and a half billion people on the planet, I've come to discover that everyone is different. I know, right? It's true. Not everyone thinks like you. Not everyone sees like you see. Not everybody analyzes things the way you do. All of us, all of us, all of us are different. And here's what I've come to find. Our differences aren't bad. We all have different experiences, different pasts, priorities, motivations, hopes, dreams, and assessments. All of us are different. You know, I took the Enneagram recently. Uh, link below in the description. Hey, make sure, check, check the Enneagram. It'll help you a ton. But uh, it, it's this personality test that, that helps you better understand your personality profile. My personality profile is an eight-wing seven. You know what an eight-wing seven is? An eight-wing seven is the nonconformist. <laughs> How cool is that? Here's a description for an eight-wing seven. They tend to be self-confident, sociable, and pragmatic in their behavior. They're ambitious and independent, preferring to follow their own path. They're generally more comfortable with conflict. Eight with a seven wing fears being controlled by others. They dislike authority and prefer to work alone. Their basic desire is to remain in control of their own lives. They also want other people to be free and are often advocates for those less able. Nonconformists defend themselves by denying vulnerability. They don't want to appear weak and therefore avoid situations that may leave them exposed or defenseless. Right? And so this here is a picture of my personality. And when you know that about me, you can better, better understand why I do what I do, how I think, what drives me, what scares me, what I long for. 
And watch, none of this is bad. And there's a temptation to make judgments on a person's personality. And everyone has a personality. Everyone has characteristics of their personality. And it's tempting for us to make judgments about their personality. But none of this is bad. It just is what it is. Right? There's, there's no judgment in any of these things. It's my personality type and your personality profile is different from mine. It's not bad, just different. And when I know your personality profile, it helps me understand why you do what you do, how you think, what drives you, what scares you, and what you long for. See, there's no judgment, again, in any of those things. It's just your personality type. And this is so important because when we understand that we're all different with different personality types and, and then we pile on, onto that our various backgrounds and experiences and paths and priorities and hopes and motivations, when we understand that and accept that and embrace that, it leads us not to judge or assume the worst in one another, but to be united and understanding, believing the best in one another because of course you didn't do what I would have done because you're not me. Of course you didn't say it the way I would have said it because you're not me. Of course you didn't make the exact same decision I would have made because you're not me. And that's all okay. Because even though we're all different, we're the same. Because we're all people in need of grace. If you're a person who's met Jesus and received grace from him. Come on, slow down, take a breath, pause. And before you fill the gap of not having all the facts or not seeing what someone else sees by assigning motives and judgment, well, you must have, and it's because of this that you, before you do all that, instead, choose to believe the best. When you do that, your husband will thank you. Your wife will thank you. Your kids will aspire to be more like you. Your boss will know that you have her back. Your coworkers will know they can count on you. You'll make a greater difference in your church. Your extended family will be healthier and the world will know that you are someone who follows Jesus because Jesus said it best when we believe the best. So now, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, love begins when we give grace to others by believing the best in others because we've been given grace and we have a God who believes the best in us. So, receive God's grace and then be a conduit of God's grace. And when you do that, you'll be somebody who believes the best. And ultimately, that's the kind of person we want to be, isn't it? Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.